Gina also said at the beginning of this call, um, I think before we were on air, that she loved the way you talk. You've got such a lovely, <laughs> lovely calming <laughs> voice, and it's like a it's like a sex therapist voice. <laughs> I, I hope you mean therapist, not phone operator. <laughs> yes, I said therapist. I said therapist. Okay. Okay. Where is this going, man? Where is this going? Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach at Sales Gravy, and uh, currently in the audition phase here at the podcast is Susanna Gray-Jones, my co-host. Susanna, any, any opening words for today? Absolutely. I'm very happy to be here. Sales gravy. Um, women your mother warned you about making sales saucy again. Oh, that's Susanna's new thing. <laughs> she, she, You heard it here. Making sales saucy again. Our producer also um, is referring to us as sassy and classy, but he has not told us which one is which. Hey, that should be a poll in itself. Who do you think is the sassy one? Who do you think is the classy one? Who knows? But you know what? Let's ask our guest, Jordana Zeldin, who is joining us here today. Hey, Jordana, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope you d- didn't just say that you were going to ask me to say who is the sassy one and who is the classy one. <laughs> kind of like, who do you, what do you, I mean, I you just got here. Um, if you had to like pick one. I just arrived. <laughs> nope, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Okay. You know what? Let's, okay. We'll forget that question, Jordana. Let's ask this question because this show is the women your mother warned you about. We're all women here. Uh, And by the way, I love, um, I saw somewhere in an email that you sent to our our producer about wanting to know if you should wear lipstick today. (laughs) I love that because I'm all about the lipstick. So I just want you to know I love that. It's funny, my hair, you know, no one, no one can see us, but my hair is usually in some state of disarray. And I found what really brings the whole look together is lipstick. Yes. So I've started to, yeah. yeah you, I, I'm, I'm only like new to the, to the lipstick train. Oh, yeah. you're kidding. Why is that? Yeah. I don't know. I've never been someone who, who felt all that comfortable being made up, but a friend of mine, he's like, you're doing a lot of video. You just need a red lip. I'm like, oh, okay. looks so good on you. And <laughs> yeah, actually I, I completely empathize with that. I got given some lipstick for Christmas and I'm kind of at that age now. I think I need to try a bit harder, you know? So um, I, I love that on you. I love you're, that. Wait a second, <laughs> Susanna, you're Thank at you. the age of, you don't say that you're at the age. <laughs> of, I, I say that because she's been messaging me, wanting me to tell her how old I <laughs> I think she is and I guessed too old <laughs> <laughs> awkward awkward <laughs> we'll talk about that later because you are way off with my age but that's another story so uh so the question I want to ask you first Jordana is how would you define a woman your mother warned you about mm-hmm. so can I just share that so my mom, she is a sex therapist and psychotherapist who used to appear on the Sally Jesse Raphael show. No. I kid you not. She, I, love this. I mean, so I, I'll say that I am certainly not the woman that my mother warned me about in that she wanted me to be a big badass force in the world. 
Um, I, so, wait, wait, what is your mom's name? I I, I watched Sally Jesse Raphael for a while. It was a, back in the you know it was, it was a few it was a few uh, a few episodes and actually she and I I remember one year I think it was in middle school or something like we we went to New York City New York City or Chicago I don't even remember where it was filmed but we went together to the city and stayed at a hotel and she got picked up in a limo and so wow. she's always re- yeah she's always really been um, someone who who puts herself out there and takes big risks and wants to be seen by the world. And, and she's kind of encouraged me to, to do the same. Saucy. It. <laughs> it is saucy. I love it. So, <laughs> so you would definitely probably consider yourself a woman other mothers warned you about, but not your it's mother. T- I mean, it's tough <laughs> to say. It's like, I grew up in a community of people who were encouraging women to do good and important things that felt true to them. So I'm sure that I'm the woman that somebody's mother warned me about, but it wasn't mine or anyone that I knew. I love it. Well, give us, um, give our listeners just a little bit of background of who you are. Um, I'm, I'm taking a new approach, by the way, Susanna, instead of like us reading the bio um, at the beginning of the show, um, I would rather you just kind of give us your take of who you are um, to give us our, our guests uh, and a, a look at who you are. That's such a, it's a great question. And it's always evolving, this description of who I am. But, cool. um, you know, right now, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a sales coach and, and trainer and, and speaker and advisor for um, growth stage sales teams. But I'm someone who never, ever in a million years imagined that I would be in sales. I was an actor early on in my my career. And, and I know that, Gina, you have an improv background. And, Three of us, um, theatrical salespeople. Yes, right. And but what was interesting is that I realized pretty early on I, I wasn't such a great actor, but got really, really excited about directing. Yes. And I started directing actors and working with them to pull out these really grounded and authentic performances. And you know, as I look back throughout the course of my career, first in the art world and then later in the fine art world, where I was uh, running an arts organization that mentored and developed emerging visual artists, my kind of segue into sales was at an art technology startup that that needed to hire a sales team of people who could speak the language of the art world. But a through line all the way through has been my interest in, in kind of mentoring and empowering and developing other human beings. Um, and once I figured out what the hell I was doing as a salesperson, which took time, you know, and and it was thanks to great leadership and mentorship, I got really excited about helping to do for others what this this mentor and sales leader did for me. And I found mm-hmm. myself getting even more excited about like their victories that I helped to support than I did my own, you know, sales wins. And I thought, I think, I think I really want to do this like sales coaching and training thing. But it, to me, it feels like a variation of my theater directing from my early 20s in a way. So I find this fascinating, the fact that you, and I've listened to your podcast, by the way, your other podcast, this is the best one you'll ever do, obviously, but uh, (laughs) I find it fascinating that you didn't define yourself as a salesperson at all. And you say you had this sales manager who changed your perception. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, look, sales, there's all this yucky baggage associated with what a salesperson is, right? They're deceptive and manipulative and pushy and they lie and make you feel uncomfortable. And 
early on, I just thought that that's what I would have to do in order to be a salesperson. And I really loved the company that I worked for and the pay was great and they had incredible perks and it was this buzzy startup. I wanted to be a part of it, but I remember even like for the first, I don't know, year, I don't even think I told my friends what I did there because of that, that inner conflict, you know? And I did fine, but not great. You know, my enthusiasm and my knowledge for my for art and my comfort talking that language kind of carried me, but I didn't really have any selling skills to speak of. And it wasn't until the sales leader joined the team. And the first thing he helped all of us to realize was that this idea that we had of what a salesperson was and should be is garbage. And we, the, the people that we are, the individuals that we are, are exactly who we should be selling as, right? We should be bringing ourselves to the sales conversation. And that really um, shifted how I thought about what I was doing, how I felt in my work and and the results I was able to achieve. I became, you know, like the, the top performer on the team for years running primarily, I think, because I was able to connect um, so deeply with myself in the process, which opened up, you know, the opportunity for prospects to connect with me, you know, as as fellow human beings. And and, you know, when you're in yourself and your work, it's like a superpower, you know. You know, I, I I relate so much to that. The the whole theatrical thing, which we all have that background. Like early You too, Susanna? Yeah. yeah. I'm an opera singer. Opera singer. <laughs> so all three of us have that. Um I also have a directing and producing background. Okay. Right? And for and I'm actually, I'm just joining the stage again after two years off. Um, I'm co-directing a show and and uh, starring in it. Not sure how I'm going to make all that work yet, but we'll we'll see. Um, I actually forced myself into it so I would have a personal life outside of work. So let's see how that goes. But but you know, I was I've been in the entertainment world. I was in that for so long in my career, and forever. Um, avoided the whole sales thing same reasoning right because mm-hmm. we all kind of saw it as this i'm not a sales i'm not i don't do that icky kind of stuff i mean i was in marketing and pr for a really long time but people kept coming up to me saying oh you should come work for us we want you to sell for us like this this like mm-hmm. it constantly happened it was this constant pattern i'm like why do people keep saying that to me mm-hmm. like i'm not a salesperson they're like but you are and finally it took someone to point out to me that my approachability and my ability to have a conversation and um, to make people feel good was what it was all about. And that's what I think the people who tried recruiting me in the past, that's what they were looking for, that spark. And isn't that what all sales leaders are looking for, are, are salespeople who can actually build rapport, have connection, make relationships. And for some reason... <laughs> Those of us in the theater arts, like we have it. Would everybody agree here? Absolutely. Um, Jordana, I, I, one thing that I think is really interesting about what you said, you, you mentioned about this shift in belief um, about becoming a salesperson. Knowing that that sales manager came in and made you feel like, no, 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 I can be a salesperson. What advice, and this is a difficult question for a podcast, but what advice would you give to sales managers who have salespeople on their team who aren't identifying with their human self? So it's such a good question and something I think about a lot because I'm working with sales leaders and enablement folks um, you know, to help them to create 
not just, you know, not just to teach their teams important skills, but to help them create these environments, right? Where they, as the human beings that they are, can really show up. And I think that, you know, oftentimes sales leaders and enablement folks, they think like, well, what do we need to teach our team this year, right? But teaching is just really scratching the surface. It's like learning requires something else. And learning primarily involves stumbling and testing and experimenting and failing. And you've got to feel really safe in your environment to feel comfortable enough to learn. And part of what this sales leader did is he created a culture of learning and feedback and and laughter and listening to one another, right? Where we were able to like so prior to prior to when he arrived, you know, we all pitched in phone booths, like in these little startup-y phone booths. Like we never even heard each other selling. One of the first things he did was like out of the phone booth into the sales pit. I want you all hearing each other. I want you all screwing up in front of each other. I want you all winning in front of each other. And when we were able to hear how imperfect we all were, hear his feedback, solicit feedback, offer feedback to each other. That opened something up in us. It became a place that was safe enough to fail and safe enough to bring our entire selves you know, to the, to the work that we were doing. So that's a big part of what I help sales teams to do as well, create these cultures, these containers where people can show up in their, in their full humanity. That is, that is such a great point that I haven't even thought about is creating that safe space, which is a, a phrase we used all the time at our improv theater of this is a safe space to learn and this is a safe space to create um, for our students, but also for our performers. It was always about a safe space where after every single show, we would have a debrief session that was basically a coaching session that was, you yeah. know, this from the theater of like, and we always led it with, how do you think you did tonight? And it, it was never, ever this abrasive or beat you up kind of thing. It was like, how do you think you did tonight? And and you let them talk about it. And then as a director, right? Like you, we all know this is direct as directors. I'm like, yeah, you're totally spot on. And here's some other areas that, you know, I thought you could do better or I, I thought, wow, you, I'm like, or I might point out things that they didn't notice about themselves that were amazing. I'm like, you know, I'm like, you totally missed like how great you were at sustaining an accent that entire time when you were put on the spot to do that. Right. And so being able to give that, co- and then they're, you're doing it in front of the whole ensemble. That's right. That peer, that peer, like the, the presence of your peers when receiving feedback and creating a culture where you are empowered to give your peers yeah. feedback is one of the most powerful things that you can do to create a, like a, a really thriving culture. But that also connects back to hiring too, because like you know you've got to make sure that you get the right people on the bus who are game to go there and game to be vulnerable and game to screw up en route to mastering the sales thing, right? And there are ways to do that in, in, in hiring as well. Yes, Susanna, you have any thoughts on that as a as a recruiter? I do. I do. Because I'm thinking back to junior management days when you had some people who you really believed in, but the whole pressure of being in a target driven environment put them off. And, you know, the, but the task as a manager, you often find middle managers actually, where they've got someone above them saying your team need to do this. And they translate that to their team as a hammer above their head. And you lose great salespeople, really good salespeople. And I, I wonder how many salespeople out there are in different jobs because they thought that they weren't a salesperson. 
And I think changing this perception and this stigma about, you know, maybe Jordana, if she hadn't have had that manager, would never have had this awesome career in sales. You know, it's you just you just don't know. Well, also, like one of the really, I think, broken things about how our our field operates is that like we are one of the only performance based skills where the expectation is that something is explained to us. And then like, we're just expected to do it right. When like, when the stakes mm-hmm. are high, when revenue is on the line, like imagine learning to play the violin and they're like, all right, we're going to tell you about it. And then your first concert is next week. It's crazy. Right. And the missing piece wow. from what, what I can see having been on, you know, a variety of teams that had varying degrees of what I'm about to talk about is practice, mm-hmm. creating a culture of practice where when you learn something in your head, you know, you're reading a book or you go to a training or you're listening to a podcast, you're able to get some safely, get some at bats, right? Try the thing you've learned on for size before the pressure's on, right? And there's something really powerful too, culturally, not only from a skills development perspective, when you are practicing, i.e. stumbling and failing and doubling back and making corrections, that is really great for skill building and creates the kind of like shared vulnerability that also happens to be great for culture building as well. It's cool. It, I, like I could geek out about this stuff all day. Let, well, well, let's keep geeking. I think we're all, <laughs> we're like we're keep like going. the ki- we're like the kids kids in the band. We're the thespians. Yeah, right. Yeah, the thespians. Yeah. I, I noticed because um, I've, I've been doing my research on you. Um, that sounds really creepy, doesn't it? Like, I've been doing my research on you as a recruit. In 2022, <laughs> I just like take for granted that everyone knows everything. About <laughs> but I, I think what's really interesting is you started your new business in the height of the pandemic that takes guts um and tell tell us a bit more about that tell us a bit more about your business and what inspired you to start it so prior to starting spring training i was a sales coach at at an amazing coaching and training company called sales gym and we were hit really hard by by covid and they had to kind of contract and lay off all other coaching staff and Really, the question for me was, did I want to go in-house and join an enablement team or did I feel ready to, you know, see how my sea legs worked, right? And, and, and try the stuff on for size. And what had happened prior to my layoff was that I had poked my head out on LinkedIn and I found a couple of things. I found this incredible community of people who were speaking my language and where I had previously thought that I was like this like the the lone wolf thinking these thoughts about selling about how we need to make it more human and blah, blah, blah. like I found an active conversation already happening on LinkedIn and I felt like I could be a voice to that chimed in and it was that community and the validation that people were really interested in thinking about selling in this way that made me think you know screw it like I I've got my unemployment I've got my six hundred dollar kicker from the government it's the best safety net I'll ever have. Let's give it a shot. And here we are. What is it? A year and a few months later. Yeah. Love it. Gina also said at the beginning of this call, um, I think before we were on air, that she loved the way you talk. You've got such a lovely, <laughs> lovely calm <laughs> voice. And it's like a it's like a sex therapist voice. <laughs> I, I hope you mean therapist, not phone operator. <laughs> 
Yes, I said therapist. I said therapist. Okay. Okay. Where is this going, man? Where is this going? You never know where it's going with Gina. You never know where it's going to go next. But um... you should talk. (laughs) Why? (laughs) And here's some words from our sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe hone their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGrave University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. You're, you're into TM as well. Um, and I, I, I don't know much about TM. Um, how does that relate to sales? Does it relate to sales? Wait, now that is scary. How do you know that? I'm a, I'm a good stalker. I'm a recruiter. Um, Weird. <laughs> I, I actually listened to one of your other podcasts. And, 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 you what, and, and what is TM? <laughs> okay, so, T, so TM, God, you know, the reason I'm so surprised and impressed you're bringing this up is because I literally not one week ago, like really re-upped my commitment to meditating twice a day for 20 minutes. And I actually log into this kind of facilitated meditation um, session through the through the TM Foundation. And I haven't missed a meditation since literally just last week. But it's basically an opportunity to kind of go inward with a mantra that you are given by a teacher that you tell no one, that you repeat to yourself kind of softly and as vaguely as you might think a thought. And it allows for this really inward, um, quiet experience. Um, what does TM stand for? It stands for transcendental Trans- meditation. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And they talk, they talk about this idea of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, as you're meditating that you're kind of like transcending and in, into this deeper place within yourself. Um, but it's when I do it twice a day for 20 minutes, it is powerful. I mean, I, I feel so much more focused and even, and I'm able to let things just like roll off my back in a way that when I'm not doing it, I'm, I'm, I feel a little tighter. I can't, you know, whether or not it's TM or, or any other kind of meditation, I just can't recommend enough giving yourself at least, I mean, 20 minutes. That's like how long most of us will scroll on, I don't know, Facebook or Pinterest every night, like giving yourself that time to just you know, go inward. It's powerful. It's a good reminder. I, I I had created a practice of that when the pandemic started and I got away from it. I feel like I need to revisit it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and this, this is, this may or may not relate to selling. Maybe we can find a way to, to bring it back if we need to, but oh no, I was going to, I was going to, I think it does. I think it does, but go on. Well, they're just like, we're, we're so frequently looking for like external stimulation, especially you know, on social media, like notifications and emails. Mm. And it's like, and, and it's often at the expense, I think, of like intuitively tuning into ourselves and our own instincts mm. and thoughts. So blah, blah, blah. Well, I think that's where the meditation is helpful. 
is is to get us centered so that yeah, so every well, that, that we can build on it. So the one habit that I've maintained is a daily morning ritual of journaling what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. So that I'm I'm, that. I'm so I'm so I stay in a grateful mindset. Like I had a horrible day yesterday which I've not told you about yet, Susanna. It was just horrible and I found myself at the end of the day so frustrated and realized that I hadn't logged gratitude and mm. and then I went back to doing it like I didn't get to it yesterday and I did it this morning and I'm like I should have done this yesterday because it would have centered me right because if we see the things that are positive and I don't just I don't just do the gratitudes I also do um uh props you know basically like what things did I do well yesterday Right. Mm-hmm. So I reflect back on what, what, what did I excel in? And sometimes it's just, I had a good hair day, which good hair day made it on the list yesterday. It's not easy to have all the time. Huh? <laughs> it's not easy to have all no, the time. No, it's not. Mean. And when you're like, your hair is rocking, you're like, damn, my hair looks good today. Right. So I'm like, I had to celebrate that. And when I, ref- when I did that this morning, I'm like, ah, okay. It wasn't that bad yesterday. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And so when when I start the day with those things, I find that my day is easier. It's interesting. I've I've often noticed that along those lines, like if I start the day on my phone in like a reactive mode, it becomes very hard to recenter. Like we're just it, you're just like responding to the external stimuli yeah. of the outside mm-hmm. world. But if you spend it with yourself, like you're doing first thing, Gina. Well, like, I'm trying not to start my day with answering emails anymore. Yeah, that's great. Um, because I find I, I am in that reactive, I am in that reactive mode immediately. Uh, so, so I'm just not doing it and I'm trying to find something to focus on personally. Yeah. You know, I will say too, as it relates to sales, I mean, sales can feel so volatile, right? So to give yourself <laughs> the opportunity to take a beat and, and ground to be it in journaling or reading or meditating in the morning so that you're not riding the crazy roller coaster that is wins and and rejection yes um, that can only be beneficial yeah it's so relevant because we talk about mindset and i think about the amount of people that i've been coaching in sales who burst into tears because of the pressure and the anxiety that can be attached to their employment wherever they are you know something like tm could be a really good fix for something like that do you think I mean, I'm not a doctor, but there have been all sorts of studies connecting, you know, transcendental meditation to better outcomes with PTSD, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and on and on. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and I think it would also, I haven't done the research on this, but I'm I'm guessing that this would also be helpful for fostering creativity, which I'm huge about when it comes to cr- the link between creativity critical thinking and problem solving, which let's bring it back to sales, right? Because our job is to find solutions. So I think there's a definite, that's what I'm, I'm going to say that I'm going to stick to it. And TM was, and continues to be for Paul McCartney, the meditation practice of choice for the Beatles and look what they made. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. So bottom line here, Warners, you want to make more money? Meditate. <laughs> I think that's sage advice. I really do. Yeah. I love that. 
I, I've got another question for you, Jordana. Um, about- I am so surprised. <laughs> I am so interested in um, what you're saying about getting teams together um, because it's been very much part of my last decade and you seem to have, have lots of really great ideas. And I'm, I'm keen to understand um, the whole working from home thing that happened during the pandemic. You speak a lot about getting teams together, speaking about it. How, how have you tackled that obstacle of the working from home um, model in getting people together and doing the role play? That is such an important question because, of course, like one of the, the things in some ways that's, that, that sales leaders and enablement folks have been struggling with amidst the pandemic is like how, like how to continue to maintain the fabric of a team culture, right? Um, and for me, early on in my sales career, as I said, like pitching in front of my colleagues next to them, hearing them and they're hearing me, hearing me, because I mean, it was, it was one of the most valuable things. But what's interesting is that um, when I worked at, at Sales Gym, the coaching and training consultancy, they were entirely remote, yet the work that we, I mean, the work that we did with our clients was entirely remote. But what was so interesting about that team culture is that it rivaled the very best of what I had in my first sales job. And we were all together, you know, in the same room. And I got very curious, culture geek that I am about why that, why that was. And I came back to this idea of practice. Now, part of sales gym's methodology was practice-based. Like we coached not through explaining, but through one-on-one and group sessions where we were all like very specifically and in a calibrated way, practicing specific sales skills. But practice was also baked in to our company culture right from the hiring process. And this is what I, what I work with sales teams a little bit on too, is like making sure that you're getting people in the door who are down to practice, i.e. fail, stumble, be vulnerable. So do you want me to get specific about this hiring process? Because it was so frigging cool. Please. Okay. So step one, right? St- standard send off your resume and cover letter, right? But if they liked that, you were then instructed to call up a random number and leave a voicemail message about why you thought you were the best person for the job. Now, that alone is kind of like outside the box and screened away a number of people who just didn't have the guts to do that, right? Let's say you did that, and and they liked the message you left. From there, it was your job to learn a skill that the company taught, and they taught this to you by video, and show up to a mock coaching session with a member of their team. This is never having spoken to anyone, and coach to that skill that the company Teaches, teaches their clients. Now, the test was not how perfect of a coach you are, right? How beautifully did you manage to get you know, the, the person who was being coached from like not so competent to really competent? That was important. You know, that's part of it. But they were really testing for how game we were to get really far out of our comfort zone, to try a new thing on for size, and to give it our all, right? To prep for it and, and show up and do our best. And it was then and only then after leaving the random message and having to coach this thing that we only had recently learned that they set up a series of interviews with us. But that gets a, that process gets a very specific kind of person who is down to experiment and learn and grow and fail and be awkward and show up in spite of it all on the bus. And it starts with hiring. It really does. I love this. That stunned silence. I think that's really, I, I, I love it. I mean, Gina and I, when we, when we coach people, we often talk about, um, 
your different learning styles. So in learning styles, you often say adaptability is the way that some people learn. Do you think, based on what you're saying about role plays and people learning by doing things and practicing, do you think that that means that salespeople, the best salespeople have adaptability, that they have that as a learning skill? You know, I don't know specifically about all of the varied learning types, but I will say that adaptability and flexibility is a really important Mm -hmm. part of selling. I mean, there's a lot of unpredictability, you know, in the, the, the process of selling and the best sellers are not the ones who just follow the rote script. They're not. Ah, you, know? you mean they improvise? Uh, Gina, yeah, they, right. They, 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 yes, and yeah, I, I, that, that really is it. Is it is the improv piece that you can get off the script, and adaptability is kind of synonymous with um, agility. And if we if we kind of circle back over to you know the word practice and the word play. Right. Like salespeople hate to hear role play. I mean, I just did a role play session with um, a client this morning and his team and uh, the youngest one who he's actually a technician who's moved into some selling and he was so nervous. And I'm like, all right, stand up. And this is all virtual. I'm like, stand up. And he's like, well, I go, just stand up. I'm like, shake your hands in the air. Just shake, just shake your body right now. Like just move your body. I'm like, I'm going to give you a little pep talk here. This is highly intimidating. I know because you got these three older guys behind you who think they know it all. And now you're doing this. And I'm going to tell you, my boss put me on the spot last week. Oh, I don't tell you about this, Susanna. I'm like, and it threw me off my game. And then I had to do it again with him. And I had to just switch my mindset and be like, you know what? I'm going to screw something up and it's okay. Like, it's okay. You're here to try it out in a safe space. You're here to try it in a safe space. So when we look at things like the word practice and play, role play, right? Like, at our, like, you know, in, in a show, you have to go to a rehearsal, right? Um, in, in improv, we would have improv practice, that's what it was called, improv practice. Everybody was required to attend. And the running joke was the people outside of our world, they're like, how do you practice improv? Ha, ha, ha. We just do. We practice taking random suggestions from an audience and running with them. Right. That's what we right. do. It's practice. That's why we're so good. And why someone walks into an improv show and they're like, how do they do that? I could never do it. Well, we practice it. Well, well you know, that's the thing. And coming back to this, this poor person who was like, who was like, you know, shaking with nervousness, you know, part of that, again, it comes back to the kind of culture that a leader has cultivated. And back to your question, Susanna, about like, well, how did this virtual team or how can virtual teams you know, cultivate that kind of space, not being in the same room. You know, I remember that once I started up at uh, up at Sales Gym and they were training me up as a coach, the primary vehicle, by the way, for training me was practice and role play with, with um, you know, my managers and fellow more seasoned coaches. But what was so interesting is that twice a week, we would all meet as a team to do these called, what we called lightning rounds, like lightning rounds of skills that we taught our clients, right? And I remember showing up for the very first one, you two, and being so nervous because I had just learned these skills. And I thought, 
like the founder of the company was there. I was like, it better be so good. You know, I cannot mess up, right? That, that was mm-hmm, kind of my attitude. Mm-hmm. But what was so interesting is that the founder of the company, he participated, and I really encourage sales leaders to participate yes, in training, yes. not just watch and you know stand there as a God from above. And he screwed up and he asked for feedback. And it was so powerful because he, through doing that, and it was not intentional, but the, the impact was was really profound on me. It signaled to everybody that that, that it was okay, mm-hmm. right? yeah, yep. to be imperfect, yeah. and that changed the entire dynamic of the space. And then that turned our lightning rounds not into a place to show how perfect we are, we are, right, but into a kind of laboratory of experimentation. Yes, I love that word, laboratory. You're making me reflect now. Um, when when I was a sales sales manager previously. I used to do something called a sales chamber. It sounds very saucy, doesn't it? Sales chamber. <laughs> chamber might not be the right word. Now I think about it. Chamber might imply something different. But it was a sales chamber. And I, as one of the managers, would sit next to um, one of the consultants and I would make a sales call. They would make a sales call. And they were surprised. And one of the things that they said made them feel most confident was seeing that people are rude to me. People tell me no. And I was the manager. So that kind of um, dovetails what you were saying there, really. And it's so true. And I, I wonder how many sales managers out there are afraid of their team seeing them fail and that they don't want to. And therefore, their team think that they have to be perfect. This is the thing. And I have no scientific backing to, to back up this number. But I'd say like at least 70% of leaders mm-hmm. think that great leadership is hiding your, hiding your flaws right? Like not showing your imperfections. Mm. And that's wrong. I mean, it's interesting. Richard Harris, um, he posted a, a really interesting question on LinkedIn a number of weeks ago around like, should sales leaders make cold calls? And it was like a raucous debate, you know, and and on the no side, there were people who said, no, like that's such a, that's such like a, a low value um, use of a sales leader's time. And then others were like, yes, if a sales leader doesn't have the ability to close you know, a cold call, like what are they doing being a leader? But I saw it totally differently. Oh. It's not about the skill and it's not about the value of the activity. In fact, it's one of the highest value activities that a sales leader can do for the sake of culture, even if they suck at cold calling. Like you can be a shitty cold caller and an incredible leader and that's okay, but let your team see you sucking, solicit their feedback and get them to help you. And wow. And not, not only, that's not only, um, uh, being a good leader, right. And stepping up to do that uh, and showing that, but it's a good reminder because you got so far away from it that you have forgotten the pain of it. And when you're thrown back in it, you're like, oh yeah, this does suck. And it, and it, it, it increases and improves your empathy and your emotional intelligence mm-hmm. to revisit it. Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So if we go back to the word play, cause I love play and I've done a lot of research on the word play. Um, and the connections again, back to creativity. What if we call role playing playtime? <laughs> well, I think, you know, what's so interesting about role playing is that we often think that we have to like play the seller and play the prospect in order for it to be effective. Right. But it doesn't always have to be that way. Like something like discovery. 
it can be really hard to realistically role play. But the skill of cultivating curiosity. Correct. Right. right. And, and, and understanding that at the very least, in order to have something resembling a complete view of a prospect circumstances, you need to have a really good sense of where they are and where they want to be and the implications of that. That's something that you can actually practice. And this is something that, that we do in the, in the sales uh, training community that I co-founded called the Practice Lab. You can actually practice that in a role play where you are playing yourself, talking to a partner about a change they want to make in their life. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm saying, like, what if we got away from the phrase, the phraseology role play? Because role play um, elicits this visceral response to like, oh, shit, I got to do this Mm. versus the phrase playtime. We're going to have playtime. I don't know. I'm kind of, maybe I'll create something around this. We're going to have playtime. And to your point, right? I think why I'm so good at discovery, which I didn't think I was, but I, yeah. I hear that I am. <laughs> I think I, I, I got so good at it because of the curiosity factor, which goes back to you had that sales manager. I had that improv teacher back in my 20s who one day said to me, you are so childlike in how you play on stage. Never lose mm. that. And I held on to that my entire career of that is my thing of being childlike and curious so that when I'm in a discovery, every question I ask is based on the last answer they gave me, right? Which is a very big yes and, right? You're in the moment. I'm in the moment. If this, then what? And so you can practice that, right? We, We don't have to get into like the discovery of someone's, you know, a specific prospects situation, but we can do this discovery of, you know, and I think just, I think why I've, I I enjoy podcasting is, yeah, I do the little bit of research thing. I love having Susanna though. She does this thorough research, which is great. And then I can use that, but I can ask you questions based on the last answer you gave me that Mm. then makes it feel like this whole thing is just a flow. Mm. That's how sales conversations should feel. Right? That's no one how feel they like should feel. Yeah. That's how no they one. should feel. But people are following their scripts, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, let me ask the next question. Yes. Yes. And the prospect feels the transaction. Yes. It's horrible. I mean, you need to ask certain questions, but you have to be good with the timing of where it fits and instead be in a flow that becomes so free-flowing that now the prospect just feels so comfortable that when you do go in with that important question that you've got to get answered, they're just chill. Well, it's interesting, this sense of like, there's the question of like, what questions do we need to ask? What information do we need to take, right? Discovery is often seen as like this tooth extraction, like it's a big take, you know, as opposed to like how, like how deeply would it be helpful to understand where this person is at and where they want to go? Like I, I, some of it has to do for me with, with the intention or even like, what would it be like to set the intention of giving my prospect the rare experience of feeling deeply heard, seen and understood Ooh. irrespective of whether or not they buy. Holy shit. Oh right? my, it's a real shift. Amen. Right. Can I get a witness in here? Yes. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Record this and listen to it a hundred times. It's so true. It's so true. I sometimes say to sellers, I'm like, We've, you know, we, we might have your checklist, but before we do anything, set the intention of giving your prospect that experience as another human being. 
and your soul will feel good and theirs will feel good. And they're going to be more likely to buy from you if they feel seen by you. But I, I think this is a kind of a great way to wrap, wrap up this episode because um. You know, I'm just looking at some of the other stuff that I got from your website, you know, um, empowering them to feel more human, to be more human in their selling, um, the place for sellers who want to develop human centric sales skills, right? This is the, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, I talk about humanizing, right? That's, that's, I'm all about the human, how do we humanize this? And so this is what it this is what it comes down to, I think, is this, how do we make this a more human experience and not a transaction? That's right. I mean, cause, cause regardless of what kind of seller you are, if you're challenger or relationship-based, like you are in a relationship with another human being, right? You've got to acknowledge that and attend to that relationship just as you would any relationship out there in the world. And the same needs apply. People want to feel seen, heard, understood. They want to feel autonomous as sellers. It's our job to give them all of that. They want to feel loved. They don't want yeah. to feel stupid. Well, that's right. right. I, I, again, I just did this in a role so play. True. I did this in a role play this morning with an HVAC company, and it was fascinating, right? Um, and we it was interesting the way we did it. But one of them in his portion of it, he had the discovery portion, and he started ask. You know, he asked me very few questions, and then went into this whole explanation about the HVAC system I allegedly was replacing. And as he was going on, I was glazing over and I stayed in character and I said, I don't even, what is an R22? I'm like, it sounds like R2D2 to me. I'm like, this is like, are we talking Star Wars? Like, and I was messing with him a little bit, but there was no humanization in the conversation that I was just, I was shutting down because I felt so processed in it. And I said, dude, just, have a conversation about who they are as a person. Don't even talk business right away. And, and and this person probably doesn't realize how much better it would feel for him in his work to do what he's yeah. trying to do. Yeah. yeah. I think he got I think he got the point when I said R2 D2. Like is this a Star <laughs> is this a Star Wars episode? <laughs> we almost want to strip everything that people think about the whole process and the script and everything and just let them be, don't we? I mean, I th- it's tricky. You know, you can say like, just be yourself. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily, I've found, at least in my, in my experience, you know, get the job done. I think it can be important to have like f- frameworks and, and guideposts. So people have a sense of direction. And once they know where they're going, they can more confidently yes. lead the prospect on the buying journey. Yeah. So I'm not one of these people that's like, just be yourself right. and you'll be great. Like there needs to be some structural support, but sellers need to understand that like the, the real intentionality behind why we're doing what we're doing usually maps to something that is like very fundamentally human. Mm. And I think the the more, you know, when I connect the dots for sellers that I'm training, it's like these aha moments for them, but it's also intuitive. Somehow it's just been like papered over with, with scripting and, and years of bad sales advice. Yes. I'm, I, I'm, I'm on, I'm on board with you on this. I think we do need the frameworks um, 100%. Uh, yeah. I love that about, you know, what we do at Sales Grave, obviously you you do that too. Any good sales training company and coaching company does that. Um, I think what a lot of companies do miss is the play portion, right? Mm. So you have a you have a playbook, but what don't forget the play part. 
of the playbook, right. right? So you have to have the frameworks, but you also have to have give them the room to go off the script, give them permission to go off the script, tell them it's okay to go outside of the of the normal parameters that they usually do, and that's all right. And that, again, becomes a leadership issue. It's okay to color outside the lines, right? Yeah. And that comes back to play as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. So play in the laboratory. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So um, as we wrap up this show, uh, if you want to share with our listeners a little more about your company, how they can reach out to you, um, how you can help them, just give our listeners some more information about you and the company. Sure, sure. So I recently co-founded a, a sales training community called The Practice Lab that launched in Q1. Um, that is a place for sellers to learn really fundamental, impactful core sales behaviors in advance of our practice time, and then show up into lab and deeply and deliberately practice them. Um, that's at thepracticelab.co. Uh, the first cohort is underway, but we'll be opening up applications for Q2 soon. And then I'd say, don't go to my website because it's under construction and has no information. <laughs> okay. um, linked, LinkedIn would be the the place to find me and in, in my work uh, coaching and training and advisory work with spring training. I work with growth stage teams to yeah help them be fundamentally more human in their selling and also to create these really important containers where people can learn and bring themselves to their work. Awesome. Awesome. And um, we're, uh, we're evolving this show this year. And so we we used to ask the question, how would you define sexy? But, you know, Susanna's introduced this new concept of saucy. So well, how would how would you how would you define saucy? Did you say saucy, Susanna? Saucy. saucy. Oh my God. You guys saucy. say sassy. <laughs> sassy. I say saucy. Wait a I second. Wait, wait, wait. So when when you're saying saucy, you mean S-A-S-S-Y? Well, yeah, sassy. Oh my gosh, I thought you meant saucy as in the sauce. Saucy is like sexy and sass. I mean, sass is kind of sexy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, same thing. No, it's saucy. It's English for sassy. <laughs> I didn't know that. You go. <laughs> oh, you say saucy, I say sassy. You say tomato, I say tomato. Let's, yeah, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> You know, in a weird way, Gina, like I think it all comes back to this idea of, of play that we've been talking about, right? Like not taking not taking yourself too seriously and just acknowledging that we are all like in process, in progress, showing up as, as best we can. I, you know? Perfect. And I love the way that that's a really great circle back to the very beginning of the show when, when I said, you know, tell us a little bit about you and you're like, well, who I am right now at this moment. And, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I love that. And I think if everybody could stay in that mindset of who you are at this moment, uh, which is always subject to change. Amen to that. Be open to that. It has been so fun, Jordana, having you on the show. So fun to talk. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here with us. And thank you to our Warners, also known as our listeners of the Women Your Mother Warns You About. For more information about our show, you could go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. We are in the middle of a transition right now. So uh, you can find enough information there. You can also, our website will be going through um, a reboot very soon. And uh, go to salesgravy.university to find out what courses we've got coming up. We've got a lot of new courses coming up, um, including some that I've created. I'm going to give that little plug right there. And uh, thanks to Sales Gravy and Jet Blunt and to my 
co-host of the moment, Susanna Gray-Jones. And um, yeah, that's it. We're out of here. Bye. Bye, Warners. Bye. This really will get serious soon. Yeah. Don't. It doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.